Good evening, everybody. It is really great to see you here. Thank you so much for joining us this, our third of our Big Issues series, Exploring Barriers to Faith. And um, tonight we'll be thinking about what we did was put it out there. As we send out a weekly email from the church to 400 people, and we ask people in that to take a poll about what question they'd like answered. And out of all the questions that were asked, the one that was cropping up most often, I think because of recent events um, in the United States particularly, um, is this whole question of faith and its relation to politics. So um, the title we've given it is... Um, Riots, wars, and refu- refugees, wars, and the rise of the right, would Jesus leave or remain? I might sneakily not answer the last question, but we'll see how it goes. So, here is a question to begin with. This is what a lot of the papers were saying. Was 2016 the worst ever year for humanity? A lot of people said so. Um, I think the people who lived through the plagues of the Middle Ages or the First World War would probably have something to say about that. But it's true that 2016 seemed to be the year that a lot of stuff that seemed very stable all of a sudden seemed to go sort of pear-shaped. So it's not just that David Bowie and Prince and perhaps saddest of all, Victoria Wood died, sad as that is to lose them. It's not even just that we started the year safely in what felt like a very stable post-war settlement politically. So in the EU and the U.S. as the world's sort of superpower police person. We ended the year making our way out of the EU, as we keep being told, Brexit does mean Brexit, and who knows what after that, uncertainty, and a very clear change in American presidential sort of rhetoric about putting America first, uh, whatever that will mean. And those things, whether you agree with them or not, are disturbing, they're unsettling for us. 2016 was also the year that 250 people were killed by terrorists in France, our closest across-the-sea neighbour. That's more than were killed on French soil by terrorist attacks in the whole of the 20th century. And 2016 was the year that Syria went from bad to worse and continues to seem to get worse, not better. Nobody in the world seems to know what to do. Those things are contributing to the endless pictures of people so desperate to escape their lives in Syria and elsewhere that they would risk themselves and their children dying at sea. So the UNHCR thinks 5,000 people, probably about 100 times the number of people sitting here tonight, died in the Mediterranean in 2016. The same sea lots of us swim in on package holidays. And the refugee, whatever you want to call it, crisis issue, it seems to be feeding the rise of very right-wing politics, people who, for whatever reason, feel threatened by this influx of people from unfamiliar cultures and fearing that they're from much more violent cultures than ours. So 2016 probably wasn't the worst year ever, but a lot of apparent certainties seemed to die in 2016. And you will find that all of the sides in every resulting argument are always in the end trying to claim Jesus for their side. 
The truth is that the figure of Jesus towers over our civilization and our legal system and our way of life here in the UK. Even if you don't believe in him at all, and that uh, is one of the freedoms we have here, that you don't have to, he actually referred to him in coming to this event tonight because the way the calendar works is from Jesus' life. Despite him never writing a book, attending a university, dying age 33, never owning a home or even having a family. He remains a towering figure over human history. And everybody in politics seems to want to co-opt him to their cause. When I was Googling, which is obviously what we do to research anything these days, I Googled Jesus and politics, and I found two very interesting contrasting pictures. One was a sort of uh, white, blonde, bleeding heart Jesus holding a very large gun and draped in an American flag. Uh, Jesus co-opted to that cause of right-wing politics. The other picture that came up beside it was a picture of Jesus painted as that left-wing sort of communist revolutionary Che Guevara. Che Guevara Jesus. Everyone wants to adopt Jesus for their political cause. And that was true in the early first century when he was walking around in the Middle East. Now, usually at talks like this, what I would do is talk a little bit about culture all the way through and then at the end just give a Christian reflection on it. As the question is, what would Jesus say? I'm going to go straight to something that Jesus said. I hope you think that's fair. Uh, What he said when he was confronted with perhaps the biggest political issue of his day. So, this is Jesus talking to some politicians who uh, disagreed with him about lots of things. Later, some of the Pharisees and Herodians came to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Well, if you'd lived in Liverpool 30 years ago, That question, should we pay the poll tax or shouldn't we, would have been on lots of people's lips. Perhaps to us today, that question doesn't seem like a huge question. Uh, There are a significant number of people here, I guess, who don't actually pay tax. When you start, this question will seem more important to you. But these people Jesus was talking to lived under the control of a huge, pitiless foreign power who had no mercy for them, no respect for their way of life. Uh, it was quite like we watched recently a film um, at home called Sweet Francaise. I don't know whether you've seen that film. It's about French and France under Nazi occupation during the Second World War. And the whole sort of uh, dilemma of the film is how much do you collaborate with these people you think are evil so you're able to get on with your normal life? Well, that was the situation these people were in. This evil empire had seized their country. And they'd introduced this poll tax, this head tax, a tax just for the privilege of living in the empire, which they hated and didn't want to live in. And previously to Jesus, there'd been another sort of revolutionary figure, a guy called Judas the Galilean. And Judas the Galilean had made a big fast, cleared the temple, and led the, cleared the temple of all foreign money, led the people in this revolt and said, we will not pay the poll tax. And that had been brutally crushed. And uh, after him, 
it had led to these two factions that we get mentioned in this story, two political parties divided on how to deal with this issue. First of all, the Pharisees. They said, we need to keep our national identity, our purity, as much as we can. We need to step away. They wouldn't even touch the coins that Jesus is about to pick up. They said, resist as much as you can, conserve our way of life from this evil power. Resist, do not collaborate, follow in the way of Judas the Galilean. Then there's this other party we get mentioned, the Herodians. They were the ones you might really describe as the politicians. They basically said, well, you need to get on with the occupying power as much as possible. Just pay the tax, go along with the regime. It will free us to do other things that we want to do. Now, of course, uh, I used that illustration of uh, occupied countries during World War II. Most of us will have sympathy with the Pharisees in this story because we now have sympathy with those who resisted in World War II, who didn't collaborate. But, of course, during the actual conflict, most people did. It felt like no choice. And Jesus has become another popular semi-revolutionary figure. He's preaching about a new kingdom, a new world order, a greater rule than the Romans. And so this is a tricky question, but it's not just a trick. It's a real political issue. It actually would have had a much greater daily impact on these people than remain or leave will have on us. It will affect everyday decisions for them much more than who is president. It's a question of right and wrong they were facing every day. If it's right to pay, then our nationhood is gone. If it's wrong to pay, we face being crushed and killed. It's a tricky political issue. So how is Jesus going to answer? Jesus, uh, this is how the story continues. Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius, a Roman coin, and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. That's uh, like lots of these little encounters you'll find that Jesus had in his life. He doesn't really seem to answer the question he's asked. Instead, Jesus basically rejects three suppositions, three premises of their political question, and they may well be three suppositions we have about faith and politics, and he rejects all three of them. Here's the first thing he rejects. He rejects political simplicity. Jesus does not say yes or no. Jesus will not be on the side of your political party. He won't be co-opted to your political movement. No matter how just you think the cause is, you will find Jesus disagreeing with it some way or another. My history teacher at school was a little bit of a lefty, uh, which in suburban Northern Ireland was really quite unusual. Um, And uh, so she basically said to us once in a class, as Marxism is about the distribution of wealth, which is true, And Jesus was on the side of the poor, also true. Ergo, Jesus would have been a Marxist. 
I think Jesus would have had some issues with the atheism bit of Marxism. Not sure he would have got on board with that. What about a closer to home, one of today's controversies? There seem to have been a lot of Christians involved in American politics saying, because Donald Trump has promised to make it more difficult to get an abortion, it is the Christian thing to vote for him. In the end, that seems to have been not a very clever thing to do because a lot of the same leaders who believed that, who may even have voted for him, now seem to be writing to the papers to say it's not a very Christian thing to put blanket ban on asylum seekers from very troubled parts of the world. Interestingly, uh, I read an article the other day who quoted the Bible more in their campaign speeches in that campaign? Hillary Clinton. Yet strangely, many actual Christians felt, rightly or wrongly, very threatened by her policies. And I think what we're seeing is this. What Jesus says can't just be borrowed and turned into and transferred to any political cause. Jesus won't let you do it to him. So I guess one thing I want to say tonight is you should be extremely nervous and suspicious of anybody telling you that Jesus wants you to vote this way or that way. Jesus rejects political simplicity. Secondly, Jesus rejects political primacy. This is the biggest thing we're going to see. So he holds up this coin to the watching crowd and asks them this question, whose image is on it? And they say, well, Caesar's image. It's like one of our coins with the queen's face stamped on it. And so Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, And to God, what is God's? What he's saying there is this. The imprint of what Caesar looks like is on the coin. But he taught that God's image, the imprint of what God is like, is found in all people. That is unique about human beings. That view of people, that they all have a very special, valuable imprint... That every person, no matter who they are, what they are like, or what they believe matters, that comes from Judaism and Christianity. Perhaps Jewish and Christian groups haven't always been great at putting it into practice in the past. And what Jesus is saying is some stuff actually belongs to Caesar, so yeah, you should render it to him. But you need to, before that, more importantly than that, render yourself, give yourself, the place where God places his image, give that back to God. Jesus won't be pulled onto anyone's bandwagon, his political cause, because he's interested in something even more significant than any political cause you can think of. You. Have you given yourself your allegiance to God. We'll talk about real world outcomes in a moment, but Jesus says there is a prior and much more important question than what you give to Caesar. Have you given yourself to God? Issues of EU membership, of who governs the world's only superpower, of what happens in Syria, they're very, very important issues. But they're important because they involve the lives of people who matter because they're in God's image. 
So there's an even more important question. Have you given to God what belongs to God? See, Jesus' message is that there is a real God. He is not a sort of distant and unknowable force. He's a God with a personality. He's always been loving. Even before time began, he's always been there and always been like that. And human beings with their ability to create, their capacity to love, their unique personalities, we are made to display his image. Now you might be sitting there thinking that's total nonsense. Uh, It's just sort of airy-fairy religious speak. It is worth, though, thinking where our whole idea of human rights comes from. I mentioned a few weeks ago when we were uh, looking at the big issues about atheism, an article I read recently by a philosopher, an atheist philosopher, called John Gray. And he was talking about how basically, um, in his view, atheism didn't give him any place from which to develop values that affected his life. He said you can basically fit any values you choose. Into, into atheism. In fact, he said this, there's no meaningful definition of what it means to be human outside of theism, which is the belief in one God. What he's saying is, the idea that people matter, which drives all of our politics, is borrowed from Jesus. If it drives our politics, why and we think that people matter, why do people making political decisions always seem to end up so selfish? Why do they not seem to put others first? Why does power corrupt? Well, Jesus taught us that God's image in each of us is messed up. Each of us is made uniquely to display the God who made us, to know him, to reflect him, to bring his image into this world, but we are broken our best attempts to fix ourselves and the world always mess up because we don't express the image of the God who is always giving himself away for others. We reject him, we reject his way of living, and so when we gain influence, we twist and use it for our own gain. Nobody in the world, really, has a very high view of politicians, do they? And that should be strange to us because they are the people we choose to entrust with lots of power over our lives. But there's something about us that when we get power, we don't use it well. And so, much more than to lead any political movement, which Jesus could have done but didn't, much more than to bring social change, Jesus came to say to people, I have come to bring you back to God. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Yet you have to relate to the state. We'll come to that. But God's image is in you. And your job, much more than any political organizing, any change making, any community involvement, is to get right with God. And Jesus is offering you that chance. So, Jesus rejects political simplicity. Jesus rejects political primacy. Thirdly, Jesus rejects political complacency. This offer that Jesus makes to put you personally right with God, to bring you back more and more into God's image, to be a reflector of him, 
That leads us to the question, doesn't it, of what is this God like who we're going to reflect? Well, in a sense, that's quite an easy question to answer because Jesus is that God in person where we have four really great records of what he was like in the Bible. And what he was like was that he gave himself away to honour the image of God in other people. So if you come back to God to be made right in who you are, we will be slowly remade into who we should be, giving ourselves away to honour the image of God in others. One article I read about this passage, and I don't actually know if it's true or not. There might be someone here who knows more about political theory than me. They'll tell me I'm wrong. But this person was saying, when Jesus said this, it was the first theory of limited government ever. So he said, you do respect Caesar, but he said, you don't give Caesar your full allegiance. There's a new allegiance, a new belonging, not to any political leader, but to God. Now, up until that point, it was just assumed, I think, God's put our political leaders into place, and so uh, it is obeying God to obey them. Jesus says, the world is more broken than that. So you have to relate to the state, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But above that, there's a more important allegiance to God. We have this amazing picture. Jesus holding the image of one king, the king who crushed his enemies, a king who conquered every land he could find, a king who required total allegiance or death. But the picture is being held by a different type of king, a king who gives his life away, who within a few pages of this story in the Bible is going to die for the sake of other people. That's the kingdom he is bringing. Political complacency is a problem for Christians. So lots of Christians out there basically accept the first bit of what I've said. I need to be right with God. Yep, okay, I'll take the deal. Thank you. Then they forget the implication of that. That means every other person that I am in contact with, that I have influence over, is made in God's image. I should serve them because that's what Jesus did for me. Recently, one of Donald Trump's supporters, a Christian leader in America called Franklin Graham, tweeted about the whole um, refugee um, executive order thing. And he said, of course we should welcome the alien and stranger, but Jesus does not require us to welcome hostile people into our lives. Well, lots of Christians replied saying, um, that is exactly what Jesus requires of us. That is what Jesus did. Welcomed hostile people into his life. That is still what he is in the business of doing. Welcoming people who do not love him into his family. Making yourself poor for the sake of others is exactly the kingdom that God is welcoming people into. That is exactly what God is like. That's exactly what he did for others. Now, while Christians will get it imperfect and get it wrong, that is the heart of any Christian political ethic. Everything we do as a church, actually, is part of that same project. 
You know, we try to put ourselves out because we want to put other people who don't know about Jesus first before us so they can meet him. We do it imperfectly, very imperfectly, but that's what we want because we believe we're made in an image of a God who's like that. So would Jesus leave or remain? Cheekily, I don't know. But what I will say is this, Christians would make the decision based on God's image resting in every other person, putting those people before themselves, because that is what the real God does. The offer of Jesus is to put you right with God, remoulding you into God's image, the image of the one who gives himself away for the sake of others. So give to God what is God's. Give him yourself. You'll be made more into what you're supposed to be. The implications of that will stretch from how you spend your money to who you vote for to what you do with your life to whether you get married or have children. By all means, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Work out what the state requires of you. But God's image is in you. You actually belong to him. Offer yourself back to him so he can remake you to be more and more like the God who gives himself away. I want to say one more thing before I ask um, Anna to come up and join me. I'm going to interview her about being involved in politics at a sort of local level. When I talk to people about politics, I sense amongst many of us just actually total hopelessness about it all. Those things that I talked about at the start of the talk seem like intractable, difficult problems that we can't get away from. But what I think we need to do with those problems, instead of throwing up our hands in hopelessness, saying, oh, well, there's nothing to do, just burrow into a corner, is to say, listen, the brokenness of the world shows us there is something wrong. And Jesus is very clear that God won't let the evil of the world go on forever. He says, you need to reckon with the fact that God is one day going to put all of this right. And there's one movement that is not about protecting self-interest. There is one person who gives himself away for the sake of others. The only power to do it is if God lives in your life. To join this Jesus-centered community, to grapple together with this book and what it will mean that we do about the complex issues of today. Give yourself back to God because you are his, and you should. It's the right thing to do. But I guess more than that, Jesus' call is to say, give yourself back to God because he loves you, and hope enters the brokenness when you do. Well, I'm going to ask Anna to come up and join me now to talk about some of the practical implications of that for her. While we sort that out, I just want to point out on the screen that... There's a phone number. At the end, we'll take questions. And you're very welcome just to ask questions from the floor if you want to. But you're also very welcome to text a question in if you don't want to get into a sort of question and answer with us at the front. So please, uh, I'm going to interview Anna now for about the next five or ten minutes. So please text any questions that you've got during that time. And then we'll take them after we have a drink. So um, 
I just need to move some things around. So Anna, Hi. <laughs> uh, amongst other things, you're married to me, but that's not the most interesting thing about you by any means. Um, um, one of the things that um, you have done over the last couple of years is get involved in politics locally a little bit and made the decision to do that. So I just want to talk to you about those three things that Jesus rejects and talk about some of the implications for that for the way that you've been involved in politics. So let's talk first about Jesus rejects political complacency. So Jesus basically says you have to treat people, live in the world like other people, bear God's image and serve them. How has that made you politically active? Yes, well, I've always um, had an interest in politics, always followed it quite closely. And then um, I guess because of my conviction that God's, made us all in his image and therefore people are important and people um, being able to flourish is really important. Well that came to a head for me um, in the last election, the 2015 May election. Um, the subtext is I just had twins and I spent about three months just sat on the sofa feeding them and because of that I was following it much more closely than I normally would I was just watching it all day on news channel and reading it on Twitter and at that election you'll remember the Liberal Democrats were basically decimated, they'd been in coalition with the Conservative Party and lost pretty much all of their seats across the country. Well when I watched that happen um, I'd always voted Liberal Democrat and um, I just felt that a lot of very decent politicians had lost their seats um, and I wanted to show my support. So I hadn't planned to get involved at all, but just the day after the election I thought, oh, I'll join the Lib Dems just to show them that, you know, someone still loves them. <laughs> um, so I went online and joined and um, I guess my motivation wasn't just sort of my loving for them, but just that um, I feel and I've always felt that without a really liberal voice in politics, um, then politics in this country suffers. So we, I guess the right and the left um, have good and bad things about them, um, but are particularly driven by their sort of economic outcomes of, of their policies. Whereas I've always felt that liberalism will protect some of our basic freedom so it allows for um, equality uh, amongst people particularly the emphasis that people who don't have the power are as important as people that do have the power um, and I guess the other thing particularly from a Christian point of view is that liberalism allows people to live according to their own views and that I particularly feel being made in God's image that respecting the way the choices we make um, is very important so that's why I got involved. Um, and I have to say, being involved in local politics was like a strange world I didn't even know existed. Um, and that, yeah, it was alien to me, really. But I've just decided I'm just going to do what I can do, which at the moment I've got three young kids. is not um, all that much, but I do the odd bit of leafleting um, and um, I've 
put my name down as a candidate for the council just to kind of have a Liberal Democrat on the paper in a, in a seat that we wouldn't win, just so that um, there's opportunities for people to vote that way if they um, agree that that's the right way forward. And um, what I've tried to do wherever I can is speak out um, whenever I have the opportunity about what I believe is right, and that's how I've got involved. No, Jesus rejects political simplicity. So just to uh, make it clear, this is not a party political broadcast for the Liberal Democrats, <laughs> much they may need it. Um, talk, talk us through, it's not that you think the Liberal Democrats is the Christian party. You know there's, there's lots of things there that aren't politically simple for you as a Christian. Do you want to talk us through some of that? Yeah, because, uh, well, I guess all parties are coalitions, the Lib Dems hate that word because <laughs> of recent history. But um, actually, all political parties are coalitions of people that believe things under one banner but would have different approaches and different views inside that. And I guess we all know there's just no simple solution to the complex problems that are in our world at the moment. So, um, you know, there isn't actually as much as um, we would love it, a 140-character um, answer to some of the issues that we're facing. Sorry, Twitter. Um, but I guess we can therefore feel quite powerless to do anything. Um, but I, yeah, and so I guess what I, the decision I've made is I'm just going to do what I can, and there is no perfect party um, for anyone to get involved in. And I don't think there's a Christian party, I don't think there's a perfect Christian party that reflects everything that Christians would want um, in the world, partly because Christians are all different and are engaged in different ways um, in the world we live in. Um, actually, I think what's really healthy is when Christians in every major party are involved in and um, politically engaged um, with different political sort of strategies and approaches. Um, there's lots of things in any sort of party that I would feel uncomfortable with, and in the Lib Dems. I'm not always comfortable with um, the sort of policies necessary of the party. Um, but I think what I feel is that in the party, I have got a voice to speak, um, which I wouldn't have if I wasn't a member. And, um, and in the party, um, in a democratic party like the Lib Dems, I, I can speak and use that voice. Um, an example of that would be very early on when I first started. I went to hear Norman Lamb speaker, you probably don't know who he is, um, he's quite, like all Lib Dems, not very well known. Um, he's a, an MP and he was actually trying to become the leader of the party um, he was, and he came to Liverpool to speak to members. And he is actually, along with a group of quite um, sort of high profile Lib Demers, very committed to assisted dying, which is something that as a Christian I feel um, quite passionately um, about the dangers of. I feel that actually it endangers that holding on to the image of God in people if we are putting people under pressure um, at the end of their life. Um, and so I was able to ask Norman Lamb about that and to speak out and discuss him a, just a tiny bit about, about that with him and to express that that would be an issue that would stop me from voting for him to be leader. Now that's tiny. I'm not claiming that Norman Lamb will remember that really super significant conversation he had with that really harassed looking mother of twins in Liverpool. But I just think you've got to do what you can. And I had an opportunity to speak to someone who is influential and I, I took it and, 
Um, and I guess as a Christian, that's what I want to be able to do. And I guess the ultimate power you have as a member of a political party is that you can leave. And, and I hope that if um, the party was going in the direction I didn't think was helping people to flourish um, in the image of God, then I would leave. Great. Thank you. What about <clears throat> this sort of central thing I was saying? Jesus rejects political primacy. How has that affected your thinking and your mindset when you've been involved in politics? Well, <clears throat> I guess basically it's that Jesus is the most important thing in my life and not any party um, politics. So um, that is actually what I'm living for, that Jesus is glorified and proclaimed through um, opportunities I have. Um, as part of my allegiance to Jesus, I want to be involved in politics um, and I want to pe- play my part in creating a world where people can know him and to really thrive as God's image bearers. And I guess for me, I've come to the decision that liberalism is the, the sort of political ideology that really will help that to happen, um, promoting particularly religious freedom um, and the right for people to believe what they want and to live um, freely in promoting it. Um, other Christians would take a different view. Some Christians would seek more to impose a Christian um, sort of values on an increasingly secular culture. And um, I think my, um, I would prefer really that the culture is created where Christians can speak boldly about what they believe, however unpopular that is, um, and have the freedom to live like Jesus lived and, um, and to promote him. Now, I guess on the day-to-day basis, that means in all my dealings with anyone, whether it's friends or people at the lived ends or... <laughs> that was a bit... <laughs> friends or people at the lived ends. Anyway, <laughs> don't tell them I said that. Um, no, friends or people I meet through politics or family. Really, in all my dealings, my concern is to reflect Jesus, to talk about him and to make it clear that he's the most important thing in my life. Great. Well, what we're going to do now is take another quick break. So um, our, I think our lovely team of drinks makers are going to scuttle out. So I shouldn't say scuttle. They're going to walk in a dignified way. Um, and we'll have about a five-minute break where, <laughs> where please do go to the back, collect a drink, chat with people beside you, text in a question... Then we'll come back after about five minutes, sit down, and we'll read your questions and do our best to answer them. We've got a couple of questions uh, here. Then we'll open it up to the floor. I think Jack might be scribbling down some more that have been sent in. So then if uh, if they dry up, we'll go home. That won't be any problem. So um, should we fight against political policies we think are wrong based on what Jesus taught, or should we just pray that God will sort it out? So that's... If you're a Christian, I guess, someone's asking that. What should we do? Well, huh. shall I start? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, basically, this is actually touching on a relatively complicated area of theology over which Christians would have different views. So, um, there are Christians who believe, and Anna referred to it, that basically say, because we know that what God says is right... And because we know that will be best for people, even if they don't think it's best for them, we should campaign to have as much Christian morality as possible in the law because that is best for people even if they don't know it is. 
In fairness, that would probably have been like the sort of majority view uh, in Christian, mostly Christian countries for quite a long time. Um, I'm uneasy with that um, because this sort of quote-unquote type of Christians we are, the type of Christian I am, the type of Christian I think Jesus is, as I've made clear this evening, is that he's saying prior to the way you behave, there's something very significant about whether you individually have turned back to God and made yourself right with him. And Christians need to be extremely nervous of passing on the idea that what God wants is for people to behave in a particular way. Because God doesn't actually want that. Jesus rejects political primacy. So he is not, he actually says that my kingdom is not of this world. So he doesn't seem that interested in a sort of enforced way of living according to the morality he says. It seems to be much more what he's teaching is you we individually need to turn to know God and then that will change our lives and then that will make us different as Christians to the world that we live in. Um, And so, generally speaking, I think we should be nervous about trying to impose Christian morality through politics. Um, But I'm sure that's not the whole story. I don't know what you you want to add. I think the question was also asking sort of, um, sorry, should we fight against political policies we think are wrong based on what Jesus taught or should we just pray God will sort it out? I, I guess as well as there's a sort of activism part of that yeah. question, isn't there, um, of what's our role and what's God's role in sort of the way the world functions. And um, because Jesus came to earth claiming to be God but actually living as a man... Um, we have this sort of model before us of someone, um, the biblical word is incarnational, of someone who um, became like the people he was um, seeking to win back um, to, to God. And so I guess from that, I would draw that um, the Christian's um, response to um, sort of political issues is very much active. And I think throughout history, that's often been how Christians have responded. It's not that you don't pray, because that is an activism in itself, but um, it's that you, I guess, speak up and, and live it out. I just want to make it clear, it's not all about engaging with a particular political party. I think you can do that in a number of ways, through campaigns that cross parties, through projects locally that are seeking to help um, those who need help. So, yeah. Great. Uh, Next one. If we are against policies from our leaders, how much should we do to influence them, particularly if we didn't vote for them in the first place? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Lots of us know how that feels at the moment. Um, I think it... uh, You may have a different view than me. I think my view is, um, again, this is if if you come to trust Jesus, I think things change. I think if you're not a Christian, it's not my business to give you advice about how to be political, so that's not what I'm doing. If you've come to trust Jesus, I think what I would say uh, to that question is he expects that we use every sort of privilege that we've got to do what is good for others. So that's what Jesus does. That's a model he gives us. Every privilege he has, he uses for the benefit of others. 
Now, unlike actually most of the people in the world today, and definitely most of the people who've lived in world history, we have some influence over the people who lead us. That's pretty rare, certainly in world history terms. And so I think what I'd say as a Christian is you have a responsibility to use that amazing privilege that many, many people have not had to do something that is serving of others. And so, yes, you should still try to influence uh, politicians to do things that will particularly help the weakest and poorest in society, that will maintain freedom for people to hear about Jesus, even if you didn't vote for them. Because the call on the Christian is to say, I want to have this image of God, the God who gives himself away, formed in me in every area. And that includes using this amazing privilege I've got of being, to influence, being able to influence the people who are in charge of us, which is very rare. It's a sort of extraordinary, the Christian word would be blessing. So, um, yeah, so I think the answer is yes, influence them, even if you didn't vote for them. Yeah. Do you want anything? Does anyone want to ask anything from the floor? Yeah, over here. And Jack's bringing another question, but we'll take yours first. Thank you. Mm. People hear the question. So in America, they're perceived as being a sort of Christian, quote-unquote, voting bloc. How much of that is cultural? How much of that is heart conviction? There are plenty of American people in our church, so I guess they would be able to answer that question much better than me. Um, so in a moment, guys, if any of you want to chip in, please feel free. Um, The answer is, I don't know, and I sort of feel like it's not my place to judge where other people's heart convictions are. It's interesting, though. I've got a friend um, who ended up having a Facebook discussion with him following the American election, who is British but now has American citizenship and lives in a rural, majority white area of one of the states that was a swing state that went for... Trump. So in a church where most people voted Trump because they felt that was the Christian thing to do. And I was just saying, that's very hard for me to understand. He said, interestingly, the thing that these people have in common that are voting for him is that they're rural, not that they're Christian. So he said, everybody around here voted for Trump because they felt like countries being run by these metropolitan urban elites of whom Hillary Clinton looked like the ultimate example and he promised to do something for them and it also happens that most people around here have some sort of church connection because it's a fairly conservative Christian bit of the country but I think the reason they voted was less to do with the Christian motivation, more to do with the fact they felt disenchanted that could or couldn't be wrong, other people know more than me another question for you Anna mentioned we live in an increasingly secular society in which I feel that we have less freedom of speech. What would you say about this from a Christian point of view? Mm. I'm not allowed to say join the Liberal Democrats, am I? (laughs) Um, Well, that actually is one of the reasons I joined, um, and it stems from my Christian conviction that people will flourish when they do have those basic freedoms of of, um, what they believe, the freedom to express that. It's interesting, I was seeing, reading online yesterday and I nearly retweeted it and then I thought, I'm not, I haven't checked whether this is like whose facts these are, but 
university campuses, um, the, the sort of freedom of speech is on, they have like a red, amber, green sort of system and loads of them are now on red or amber um, because there's certain subjects that um, university have sort of banned from campus. Um, the example, the sort of most famous example being the Oxford abortion debate that was banned a few years ago. And so I guess, for me, that is just my alarm bells are just ringing at that because I'm just, like, it's all part of our human dignity to be able to believe and express um, the things that, that mean a lot to us. Um, and that actually is where I think politicians have got to stand up um, and say, even if I hate what you're saying, I believe in your right to say it. Now, I don't think the student union politi politicians are doing that effectively. And, um, yeah, that just, I really fear for that because I think that's, if it's happening now in the universities, um, then it will eventually filter through to other places in, in our society. And, yeah, it's interesting, the safe space sort of argument I think has many flaws and I'm not sure people are prepared to stand up and question that because of the sensitivities around that. Um, Richard Dawkins did, the atheist. Um, he said, if you want a safe space, go home and cuddle your teddy bear in bed. The university is not a safe space, but the student unions don't <coughs> seem to be agreeing with that. This is my rant of choice at the yeah. moment, so sorry. Do you want to no, bring sense to my rant? Like that question. <laughs> I hear a bit of this at home. Um, no, I totally agree, and I think it's one of the reasons. One of the things I think about this faith and politics thing um, is that, I hope you don't think this sounds like I've got no convictions, but I think Christians might need to lend their weight to different political movements at different times. So um, Wilberforce, who was very pro the abolition of the slave trade, was a Tory. He was a conservative politician. So I hope at that stage, if I'd been an evangelical Christian around the place, I'd have said, yeah, I'll sign up with that party because what they're doing is very important. Um, I can see why lots of Christians, just in the post-war period with the beginning of the welfare state when the country was sort of economically in ruins, got behind the Labour Party in their project to set up the welfare state because people were sort of, have, you know, couldn't afford to go to the doctor and, you know, the country was decimated. So um, I think... I agree with you about our time. The biggest challenge seems to be this sort of suppressing of people's right to say things, which, which for Christians is a very dangerous thing, which is why I would want to lend my weight particularly to that cause at the moment. Uh, so I think different places, different times, Christians will want to lend their weight to different political causes. I hope that doesn't make me seem totally spineless. Um, I just think it's acknowledging the reality of the world. And also, I think that allows you to say at different places, different times, Christians will have to make different decisions about what's important. Um, so, especially, again, using the American example, where you've got two parties and they're incredibly polarized, people are having to jump one way or the other. Um, you know, if you wanted to take what seems to be like an obvious Christian view on three or four issues, it seems to be quite divided. So people have to jump one way or the other. And uh, so that allows you different things at different times. But I basically come back to the question, totally agree with the questioner, which basically is, I think, 
not just for Christians, actually, I think, for human beings, this whole suppression of people being allowed to say what they really think because other people will feel hurt is not a good trend, worrying trend. Um, any from the floor? Yeah. I guess, I've, yeah, I think we've got to remember they're human beings, aren't they? And there are actually some very, very decent politicians out there working hard, and they're often the ones that aren't um, on the front page of the Daily Mail. Um, and that, I guess over recent years what we've seen is a massive, since the, the expenses scandal, I don't know how many years ago that was now, quite a long time ago, um, just a massive distrust in, in the way we view politicians and there obviously are people that are using their position of power to sort of build their own empires and um, yeah duck ponds or what was it a moat for their duck pond or I don't know what it was he was claiming on his expenses but your MP wasn't it my old MP yes (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah I think the Bible talks about um, Christians respecting Mm people in authority and people who sort of lead the country, praying for those. Um, so the Bible is very much about Christians sort of engaging in that way um, through um, relating to them um, as positively as they can. I think definitely social media makes it very easy to retweet a sort of slag off of a politician without it being, you know, it will always have some bias or twist in it, won't it? Um, the other big issue, I guess, is the way the media are portraying um, politics at the moment, and that's a minefield, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, I think respect where it's possible. Um, and remember that they're actually our public servants, so I think if you haven't ever written to your MP, just um, have a go, <laughs> because they actually are there to, to serve us and to take the issues we take seriously. Um, I, I read somewhere that if 100 people write in on one issue, that gets an MP's attention. Well, 100 is just like a slot, isn't it? So um, definitely be engaged with those people. They're there and they rely on your vote to um, to kind of be in their jobs. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, again, you know, if you're not a Christian, I have no business telling you what, what you shouldn't do. If you are... I think we need to be very careful about joining in the dogpiling that social media encourages um, because politicians are also people made in God's image. So we are not serving them the way that Jesus served them um, if we join in with the character assassination of them. Uh, There's someone in our church not here tonight who's involved in postgraduate research. Sorry, this is not a comparison I'm making. Uh, She's involved in postgraduate research with really terrible criminals, not making comparison to politicians. Um, But uh, she's doing research into re-offending rates amongst people who've committed really terrible, horrific crimes. Um, And she said to me once, I go into work every day, I look at these people, and I think, Jesus died for this person. And that's what shapes my response to them. And that should basically, much as our politicians get on our nerves... And they do things we find really frustrating and difficult. And actually often things that personally affect us or really badly affect people we care about, we need to also remember they're people made in God's image. That's a distinctive Christian response in this field. 
Um, yeah. 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 You answered that. Yeah. <laughs> I think what I would say is, and I'm sorry this sounds like dodging the question, that I think different Christians in different places at different times will come to different answers to that question. Um, so there is, it's just this Jesus avoids political simplicity issue again. There is a moral case to be made for saying, let's not burden the people who come after us with a huge debt. And there's an equally, if not more, moral case to be said, but this person, if they don't get this benefit, will really suffer. Both of those are valid moral cases. Um, yeah, so I think both are factors, but in the end, you do, you do what you think is best. I don't, I don't think they should be less. I think we think about them in a slightly different way. So I do think, basically, there is a tendency to think when I'm voting about me and those closest to me, rather than thinking about the people who really need help. Now, I was doing this, talking about this issue in a university a couple of weeks ago, and someone said, so basically you're saying we should all be left-wing. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not saying that. Because you might decide that the, the other policy is more likely in the long term to help those who really need help. You might decide that. You need, there's a responsibility here. And that's the other thing we haven't really talked about. Living in a free country where you get to vote is a huge responsibility. And none of us really want to take it, but not none of us. Lots of us don't really want to take it seriously. So we think, oh, just tell me who to vote for. Who's the Christian choice? It's very complex to work out which is the best type of economy to help the people who most need it? Is it an economy where the state does a lot? Or is it an economy where personal responsibility is emphasized so people gain dignity, all those things? That's the basic moral disagreement, which we don't actually hear that much about. So I'm not saying it isn't important. I'm just saying we look at it in a different way, and we accept that other people may feel they need to jump one way or another, particularly when, there's two, when it's like binary and... It's complex, like we said about the American situation. Is there anything you want to add? No, I was going to say something similar. <laughs> similar question. Surely all Christians should champion environmental policies. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. I mean, the Christian mandate in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis is that people are created in God's image to look after his world. Um, then the Christian sort of, um, I guess, interpretation of why it's all so bad is that um, our world is broken. Morris talked about that in his talk about us being broken people, but also our relationship with the world and the world itself. The Bible, the Bible actually uses the word that creation is groaning um, with frustration. Um, and so, yes, I do think Christians um, have a responsibility to engage with issues about the environment. Um, I guess Christians would disagree about um, how and to what extent they do that because Jesus' message um, was that the kingdom he was creating, that he was sort of leader of, was not of this world, but of the world that he says comes after death. 
um, for those who trust in him. And so, actually, the, um, the challenge of the environmental issue is both to pursue what's best for the world now, but with a view to actually we're not going to solve it now because this world is subject to this frustration and decay. Um, and the real um, sort of, I don't know, fix will be um, when Jesus comes and takes control of his kingdom. Mm. It's worth saying as well, environmental policy is quite a broad and complex field, as anyone here studying environmental science will know. So, you know, I would not be in favour of saying a policy that was brought in to say all fossil fuel emissions in the whole world must stop tomorrow because that would unfairly punish the poorest people in the world. So these issues are very complex. And so when you see, you know, someone who has the label Christian saying, I disagree with this environmental policy, I suspect it's not because they're like, no, it's fine to trash the earth. It's more that they're like, I don't think this is the best way to achieve the thing we should achieve. And that's life in a world that is not, that's not perfect. Any others? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Anna, is Theresa May a Christian? My five-year-old daughter today was playing with a load of tin cans in the kitchen. This is just like an ad break, okay? Because um, <laughs> the Tesco man had been the advert for Tesco, and he, she was lining them up, and then she got a tin of, no, a tube of tomato puree and went, Mummy, this is the Prime Minister. Which led me to a debate about whether Theresa May or a tube of tomato puree is more effective. Um, <laughs> which made us decide that the tomato puree is more effective in a bolognese. Yes. Um, I'm going off point. What was it? Christian MPs, I don't know. Um, basically, I, th- I guess what we. Um, yeah, there are, I'm sure, <laughs> ways of finding out that those are pub- those who are publicly Christian. Um, but. Um, yeah, I think we pray for all our leaders, um, but particularly responsibility to pray for those who, who want to sort of promote Jesus and his cause um, uh, through their work. Um, so, yes. I, I totally agree. I think we need to be, uh, similar to Kat's question earlier, very patient with someone. It's an incredibly complicated job. Um, you're not just there. I mean, that's the thing about our country. We have a representative democracy. That means those people are there to represent their constituents. That means they can't just say, Christians think this, so this is what we're going to do. That's not actually them properly honouring their job they've been given to do. And I think sometimes people, it's one of the reasons why people are quiet about their faith, can be because... They think that's going to bring pressure on me from Christians to behave and vote and do things a certain way rather than represent to my actual job. So we need to be very patient with them. At the same time, I, need to, I think we need to, um, we need to re- be happy of the fact that people with faith convictions can actually be public about that in our democracy. Um, And I don't just mean that, I hope that's something we can all be happy about, whether you're here, you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, you're of another faith. You know, even across the English Channel in France, that is like an incredibly difficult thing to do, and the effect of it is that people with a real, vibrant, 
religious faith of any sort are more or less excluded from being in politics. And we should be grateful we don't live in that. Uh, sorry, there's lots of nice things about France. Um, <laughs> the you know, wine. The brie. Um, but we should be grateful that those people are there, even though they often do things we find embarrassing and we don't agree with. You know, there are certain politicians who, fly, who use the Christian flag sometimes. You just think, oh, please, don't, you know, you want to put something in social media, don't you saying, not on my team. Um, but I think rather than doing that, we should use those moments to think, isn't it great to live in a country where that's not disallowed? And actually, there was an interesting... Um, the Lawyers Christian Fellowship, um, just before Christmas, did a, a sort of piece of research into Christians in the workplace. Um, and the conclusion they came to is that many Christians feel pressurised in their workplace not to speak about their faith. Um, and a Christian politician, an MP, took it to Parliament and promoted this piece of research. And Theresa May was incredibly positive about it and actually said... So this is a message from Theresa to all Christians in the country said, um, please do take opportunities to speak about your, your faith and your convictions in your workplace. Um, so actually, as Morris said, that we live in a time of freedom that we must make the most of and enjoy. Yeah. Jack, are you hovering with more? Probably got time for one more still. This is Jack, everyone. He's the question carrier. <laughs> Now we have to answer this one, even if we don't like it. Uh, why do Christians make the mistake of seeing the world through British eyes and interests, Europeanized interests, or Western American interests, and miss the bigger picture of what is really going on in the world and what really needs prayer? Hmm. I, I would like to say that things going on in Britain, Europe, and America are things that are going on in the world. Those Britain, Europe, and America are, are parts of the planet. Um, but I get what this is saying is basically a lot of our political discussion is very Western-centric. Um, yeah, although nothing is um, really that far from the rest of the world, aren't you, when you have, you know, the, the current, the, the biggest crisis in Europe in the last few years has been the refugee crisis. Um, and so we're not, yeah, it's not completely western um, I think what I'd say to this question is I don't know whether the person who's asked it is a Christian or not a Christian but this isn't my experience of UK Christians the ones that I know so the Christians that I know you know, and I can only speak for the ones I know <laughs> are very very interested in parts of the world that are not Britain, Western Europe or America it, though lots of them are from those places most of the Christians I know know people and have good friends from parts of the world that are not those places. They pray whatever you think that means for those parts of the world. Most of them travel to parts of the world that are not in those places in order to meet with or encourage or help Christians there. Um, most of them feel very much more concerned about the problems in Syria than the problems in their street. So I sort of don't totally understand the question, but it's just not my experience of the Christians I know. Um, someone else may have had a different experience. Um, guys, our time is up. We don't let, want to let things run on. Um, let me just wave a few things at you. So, a few things um, I'd like to draw your attention to. The first one is this 
it is a red and white contact form. If you would like to be kept in touch with things we do here at Christchurch and other things going on in the city, we send out a weekly email. It has all the stuff we are doing, plus other bits and pieces that we've clocked are going on around the city, plus interesting things to read and stuff like that. That goes out every week. And if you sign up to get that, we'll make sure you get that every week and you can unsubscribe any time. Plus, you can tick boxes for other information about what we do as a church. So please do um, fill one of those in. They're sitting out there in the welcome table you passed as you came in. Also on that table are two things we'd love you to take away for free if you'd like them. The first one is this little blue and yellow booklet. This is called Two Ways to Live, and it's basically just an easy, readable summary of what Christians believe. So if you've listened to all of this tonight and thought, I haven't quite got a handle on basically what it is Christians are on about, and who would blame you for that? Um, then please pick up one of these, have a read, they're free. That doesn't commit you to anything. No one will be watching to see who takes one. So please take one of those. And if you'd like to read for yourself one of the stories from the Bible of Jesus' life to see what he is like in terms of what he shows us about God, this, A Passion for Life, is Luke's Gospel from the Bible, which is just one of the stories of Jesus' life in the Bible. And again, please take that away for free. Finally, um, as part of what we do here, if you've listened tonight and you're ready to say, I'm interested, not committed, but interested to thinking through that Christianity might be the key to some of these important questions, and I'm willing to sort of give it a look, then we run a thing called Christianity Explored, which does exactly what it says on the tin, will help you explore Christianity. So what happens at that is we have a meal together, so the group people doing it together get to know each other, we watch uh, like a DVD presentation, we talk about it, and then we look together at a little bit of Mark's Gospel, which is one of the biographies of Jesus from the Bible. Uh, there's no, you don't have to sing, you don't have to pray. It's particularly aimed at you if you are not sure. Uh, so no one minds what questions you ask. And um, that's running at the moment. Um, so you can go along any Sunday evening, but a new course will be starting when this series finishes. So we've got one more big issue next Sunday. Then the new course will start after that. You should be very welcome. Just want to take the flyer away and look about it. It runs in someone in the church's home not far from here, uh, even if you end up not. Um, being interested in Christianity, it's a lovely group of people who run it, and they'd be delighted to welcome you. And I guess I should say about the last thing, uh, our last of our Big Issue series is next Sunday evening here at this time, and we're looking at the whole thorny um, issue of faith and sexuality, and we'll have a guy coming to talk to us who would call himself a gay Christian and talk about how his faith in Jesus and his sexuality intersect and the impact that's had on his life. So if that's a barrier to faith for you or people you know or you're just interested in that question, seeing it so much in the media all the time, you'd be very welcome to come. Thank you very much for coming. Hope to see you again soon.